Welcome to the Next Trip Podcast with Doug and Drew. This is an aviation and travel podcast covering current topics and trip reviews with multiple course deviations on our route. All thoughts and opinions are our own. Welcome to Boarding Pass 15, everyone. This is Drew. I'm here with Doug. We're two av geeks and aviation professionals, creating a safe space for other av geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. Hey, everyone. Well, it's been another eventful week, to say the least. Um, Drew and I were just talking about it. What happened to all the fun topics? If you go back and listen to the first couple episodes, it was all like just all fun, fun topics. I know. Well, you just mentioned today that December 1st was the first case of coronavirus. Yeah. And we didn't even know about it. So little did we know. Yeah, we, we started recording. We started recording that day or the, the day after. So we're, yeah. we're kind of, yeah, we're, uh, we're riding right along with it. Yeah, but we're going to remain positive. We're going to look at, you know, what's going on and we're going to see how, you know, we can still find ways to travel for us and everyone else listening because we don't want to stop traveling, right? Yeah. Speaking of travel, really good segue. How was your trip home? It was great. (laughs) So, you know, everyone from my aunt to my partner, you know, everyone's like discouraging me from going because, you know, this whole virus thing is starting, but it was an awesome trip. And I've talked about it on this last episode we had, so I won't go back to that. But my last two legs were excellent. I went from Sri Lanka to London on a A330-300 in business class confirmed. And then I was back to my non-rev world. I flew my own carrier from Heathrow to Dulles. And thanks to lower loads, this is a positive. I got business class and there were some empty seats on board. Service was great. And Doug, I just want to say one thing about my whole trip is I am so amazed at the professionalism in our industry. So I flew two different airlines from either side of the globe, flew through six different airports, Everyone was professional. They were all nice. The planes were clean. No mechanical issues. The only delay I had was uh, when my plane going to Sri Lanka had to divert because of thunderstorms. And that's a safety related thing. So that's not something to uh, complain about, you know, as far as anything that someone made a mistake on. But I just want to say thanks to the mechanics that keep the planes fixed, the cleaners that clean the planes, the pilots that fly the planes, Flight attendants, airport workers, ATC, y'all did a great job. And I was proud to be part of that group of people. Yeah, you mentioned the, the cleaners, especially right now. Um, I've gotten emails from multiple airlines this week just to my frequent flyer accounts saying, hey, here are the steps that we're taking to make sure that the planes are clean, extra special just in this time. So it's, yeah. it's, it's good, good communication. So Doug, I literally on every flight... <laughs> This is me probably overreacting like most other people. So the hot towel service, right? So I use the hot towel, wipe, you know, wipe my face and my, you know, clean my hands. But then I wipe down every surface <laughs> around me <laughs> just in case. So probably a little bit of an overreaction. Yeah, well, I'm, uh, I'm traveling this week for the first time uh, in a couple of weeks since it really started to kind of kick off. And I ordered on Amazon a whole bunch of um, like travel wipes in, mm-hmm. in like little individual 15 uh, item packages yeah. because I was afraid that if I tried to go through TSA with a big bottle of hand sanitizer that they would probably take it. So I've got yeah, like all, all these little uh, individual packages of hand sanitizer. <laughs> Yeah, and there, apparently there's a run on hand sanitizer, so people are now look googling how to make your own with alcohol and aloe vera or something. So, well, the biggest run I don't know if you've seen this is on toilet paper. Yeah, why toilet? paper? I have no idea. 
I, I've paper. seen I've seen a, a lot on social media recently about people stocking up on toilet paper. I mean, literally going crazy for giant rolls of toilet paper. Okay. Um, and I, I saw one pilot make a comment saying that on their overnights, they're stuffing a couple extra toilet paper rolls from the hotel away in their carry-on because they can't buy them at home. Okay. All right. So let's all buy stock in uh, toilet paper, masking tape, and bottled water because that's what they always have to have immediately. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, all right. So now, so this is a good segue into our first topic. So let's get this out of the way. <laughs> right. So we got to do a, a COVID. We're going to start calling it COVID-19. It's just really easier for me to say than coronavirus. So not a topic we enjoy talking about, but we have to discuss this because it's all encompassing now, right? In terms of our world economies and especially our industry, the aviation industry, um, IATA, and we just have to say that's the International Air Transport Association for those of you that may not know, that includes 259 carriers or the car- the, those carriers in that trade group carry 82% of the world's traffic. So that's IATA. Um, they came out with their estimates for passenger revenue losses. Just to put this into perspective, in December, they predicted a $29.3 billion net profit for the industry for the full year of 2020. February 24th, they revised that and predicted a $29.3 billion net loss. Two weeks later, as this virus is going all over the world, the new estimate is up to $113 billion. And looking at their numbers, this is broken down also. These are just estimates. So this is on the high end. So hopefully it won't be this bad, but they're estimating that uh, of course, Asia is going to be most affected with uh, a drop of uh, f- a loss of 49.7 billion uh, in North America, closer to home for us is going to be 21.1 billion uh, Europe, 37.3 billion. So it's just uh, amazing <clears throat> how much it's going to affect world economies and the airlines. Yeah. And these estimates came out, um, early last week. So it was before several airlines announced big reductions this week. The The biggest arguably was Lufthansa, who on March 6th, so we're recording on March 8th, Sunday yeah. the 8th, a couple days ago, they said they're going to cut 50% of their flights across across their, their airlines, their, their airline group. Yeah. So it's Swiss, Austrian, uh, Brussels, Eurowings, a couple others in there that I may have missed. And they might also ground all their A380s just because the there's not the capacity need for that. Now, Lufthansa has a relatively low number of A380s. They only have 14. So it's not like we're talking about Emirates mm-hmm. with 100. But um, I saw a couple of people on on Twitter mentioning that this could be the early death of the A380. The I think, A380, yeah. yeah I think Paul from, Paul from Layover has mentioned that. Um, it's Yeah, it's, it's crazy to see. Some other airlines that have cut. And, and again, this is Sunday the 8th. By the time you guys listen to this, I'm, I'm sure that there probably will have been more cuts as well. But United, who's the largest airline to Asia, uh, I know we talked about it last week that they're offering reduced pay for pilots to take some time off. But they announced that they're cutting 20% of their um, international network and 10% of their domestic network starting in April. So they've already cut a lot of their international schedule for March, but they're going to be trimming back in April. And this is the first that we've seen any U.S. domestic carrier announce anything like that. Emirates is asking their employees to offer, or they're offering to take a month off of unpaid leave. So this is different than what United is offering. Mm-hmm. Um, Cathay, who we've mentioned, who was already kind of struggling because of the civil unrest in Hong Kong, 
they're sitting 120 planes, which is half of their fleet. Three quarters of their flights have been cut. Three quarters of their staff are on unpaid leave. Just to put this into perspective, in 2003, during the SARS outbreak, they only cut 45% of their schedule and 25% of their fleet. So this is already close to double. What... And SARS was focused in Hong Kong. Exactly. Still, they cut less Exactly. Than yeah. Now, actually, I was talking to my dad about this the other day because he and my mom went to Hong Kong in spring of 2003, right as SARS was kind of trailing off. And he made a comment that they went because the prices were so cheap. Yeah. To Hong Kong. Okay. So I, I, I made me think, and I, I started just doing some ghost bookings this week to see if possibly some of the fares had dropped because of all this. Yeah. Surprisingly, they haven't. And the spreadsheet guy in me, I know you <laughs> always make fun of me for that. I, th- I, I think that the airlines are afraid to drop the price of a ticket too far in the future because if this thing passes quickly, then yeah. you've got all this inventory two months, four months, six months in advance that they've sold at rock bottom prices. Now, yeah. it's, it's, it's not the highs that they were even a couple weeks ago because I've got some travel coming up that I haven't booked a, a flight for. And the price has dropped about 50, 60 bucks round trip. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it's, it's one of those things, like, like I said, they don't want all this inventory getting taken up at relatively inexpensive prices if this thing goes pretty quickly. Um, I, was, I did a couple ghost bookings in business um, to a couple of places overseas. They're still close to ten thousand bucks round trip right now, yeah. even with wide open cabins. Yeah, that's good. That that shows they have some confidence that it might come back. So, yeah, you know, f- um, f- for those of you listening, if you're not in the airlines, that's actually this is actually good news, right? Because the fares are low, but for us that work in the industry, it's not good. That's the precursor to layoffs and uh, you know route cuts and whatnot. So, yeah, um, Goldbox ATL on Twitter did a poll earlier in the week and he said if you have air travel in march or april are you canceling uh last i looked a day or two ago there were over 500 votes and only 17 percent of the people said yes oh that's good the majority of the comments said personally i am not but my business is forcing me to for work travel um unfortunately the majority of the revenue that airlines get is business travel Yeah. yeah. So even though people are, are possibly still traveling for leisure reasons or choosing to this business travel um, conferences like South by Southwest, which I, I know we're going to get to a lot of companies have, have shut down completely um, not even non-essential travel, but all travel um, Amazon to, to name one um, that last week shut down travel for all their employees. So yeah, it's uh, yeah, <clears throat> and we're just thinking about the airlines, but think about the hotels, the taxi drivers, the restaurants that are going to be affected by this. Yeah, well, and we can talk about that South by Southwest now too. Good segue. So South by Southwest is a started out as a music festival in Austin back in the the late '80s, but it's turned into this big tech conference. And I was actually supposed mm-hmm. to be there until some some other things came up about a month ago, so I canceled. Um, the economic impact that Austin is going to feel by not having these tens of thousands of people come in. And that's just one Google IO and Silicon Valley was canceled game developers conference in San Francisco and Adobe summit in Las, um, Las Vegas 
Facebook and San Jose, IBM Think 2020 and San Fran, the list goes on. And, and these things are, are just continuing to cancel. Yeah, so many in San Francisco and Silicon Valley, huh? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's such a big tech hub, but yeah. um, I, I wanted to bring up in this industry, the Aircraft Interiors Expo in Hamburg, which is the largest trade uh, conference for, for the aviation industry, a bunch of vendors, um, seats, in-flight entertainment, Wi-Fi, et cetera. Weren't you thinking about going to that? Yeah, we had talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, now? It's the end of the month. Yeah. So that's still going on? That's no, still it's on. canceled. Oh, it's canceled. Okay. Well, not, not canceled outright, but it's delayed. They I'll tell you what's not canceled. So I have a conference tomorrow and it's not canceled. And I think that's good. That's good form because I work for an airline. And if an airline is canceling a conference, that doesn't send a good message. So yeah. Uh, and I, I sent you this info this week. I'm supposed to go to the World Aviation Training Summit in Orlando in April. Okay. They, they released a statement. So uh, I apologize that this is a little bit long winded, but I sent mm-hmm. this to Drew and mm-hmm. he said, Hey, we have to talk about this because the yeah. messaging in there is, is really important. So this, this conference, it's still on. They said they're monitoring the situation, but they said in accordance with the world health organization, national and local government recommendations, we do not plan to cancel. The airline industry has long history of managing adverse situations. We work closely with our partners to respectfully keep our business, mo- responsibly keep our business moving forward. General dynamics of our community did not alter after previous crises, such as 9-11 or SARS, in that, despite serious setbacks, the way, uh, uh, and various, uh, excuse me, and very tough business environments from time to time, the predicted doubling of the global fleet was still achieved and safety improvement continued. We expect similar doubling in the next 20 years, meetings such as ours are a key part of this process and should continue where sensible. So yeah, I thought that was that was really good men, uh, messaging from that yeah. conference. Yeah, it's um, <clears throat> it's very reasoned. Um, all right, so can we start segueing out of coronavirus? Let's do it. Okay. Let's let's get to a pseudo <laughs> positive topic. Yeah, I, I guess. well, no, it's, it's not positive. But th- th- yeah, it'll this start one, getting this us one away from it. There you go, away from so, from Corona. Yeah, but it's also a little bit related to Corona. So. You know, I connected through London Heathrow and just real quick, I was going to stay there two days and play in spot and go walk around London. It was going to be great. But Doug, I'll tell you, you know, after seven, eight days away from home, I, I shortened my stay just to that night and I came home because it was rainy, it was cold and I was ready to go home. So anyway, but while I was there, another depressing issue was uh, Flybe became the first European carrier to shut down thanks in part to coronavirus. So um, thinking about you guys that are working for Flybe, there's 2,000 employees that are affected. That is Europe, Europe's largest regional carrier. They carried 40% of UK domestic traffic. And uh, yeah, so that this seems to be one of the first, uh, F, what's the word? First effects, first affected carriers from uh, coronavirus. Uh, what are your thoughts, Doug? Well, they were already struggling. Uh, they got a cash infusion from the UK government about a month ago to kind of stay afloat. Would they have made it without Corona? Possibly. Um, was Corona kind of the final nail in the coffin? Yeah, it, it, it was, like but this was not because of that. This was years and years of declining yields, declining revenue, 
just uh, Europe in general is a really tough environment for competition. Well, we saw Thomas Cook go away and that was not due to coronavirus at all. That's the largest, that was the largest uh, leisure carrier. Leisure carrier. Yeah. So uh, this was kind of a long time coming, which leads me to wonder, we've talked about Alitalia a lot on this show, what's going to happen because, so we mentioned we're recording on Sunday, the 8th, Italy, the, the whole Northern part of Italy was just, quote unquote lockdown this morning uh, I read in the Wall Street Journal about an hour ago that 17 million people are in this lockdown they're hoping to stem the spread but something else I read was that Alitalia has continued to operate into and out of Milan they have signs at the airport saying yeah. schedules operating as normal so, so there's what, a lockdown <laughs> what yeah but what 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 does that mean yeah. you know yeah so just um just one last thing on Flybe the good so part of their demise was due to they were competing on thin routes, which was hard to make money to begin with, just like you said. And they were also flying two aircraft types. They were flying the Q400 and the Embraer 175. That was complicating things. So coronavirus was that last little push over the edge for them. Yeah. But um, on a positive note, there's two airlines that are taking their routes already. So this airline called Logan Airways Mm -hmm. um, is going to take all of their Scottish routes and there's another one we talked about, Express, no, I'm sorry, Eastern. Eastern, Eastern Airways yeah. has taken a lot of their routes. So Eastern Airways, which dominant. is not to be confused with Eastern Airlines, yeah, the, the, the third iteration of it in the U.S. Because <laughs> initially I saw that. I saw, I saw Eastern is going to pick up all the uh, Flybe flying. And I was like, wait, what? They have 767s. They're running out of JFK. And then I yeah, had to read no. the article. Yeah. No, not them. Um so, yeah, I mean, maybe that means more jobs at those carriers that some of these Flybe employees can go work, you know. So yeah. maybe they can use those aircraft. Did know, we'll see. Flybe flew, flew into Heathrow, right? They did. they did. I saw Flybe sign there. I sent you a picture. So, Oh, that's um, right. Yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah. So Yeah, I don't know where they flew to from Heathrow, but it would be, you know, some of these. Yeah, some of the smaller, the the smaller markets. Um, let's stick with Heathrow. Um, so some big news out of Heathrow this week, um, which is Heathrow's failed attempt at a third runway. Yeah. So courts last week ruled that a decision to build a third runway was unlawful as the ministers hadn't reviewed how it affect, how it would affect climate change specifically in regards to the Paris accord and the UK's commitment in June last year to be carbon new by 2050. And yeah, the courts looked at this and they found nothing, no research regarding how climate change was going to be affected. So just for that reason, they said no. Um, so, I mean, we can discuss this, but you've got some, you've got yeah. some numbers. So, uh, for those who aren't, aren't aware, Heathrow is, is very large. Currently they handle around 80 million passengers a year on only two runways. To put this into perspective, uh, Paris, Charles de Gaulle is 72 million a year. They've got four runways. Amsterdam, 71 million a year with five runways. Frankfurt, 69.5 million with four runways. Atlanta, which is the world's largest airport, 107 million people and five runways. So you've got Heathrow that handles close to or more than the majority of the traffic at those airports, and they only have two runways. And they're handling that with a pretty extensive curfew. So there's a curfew in London Heathrow from midnight to 6 a.m. where there's no aircraft movements. So even with that, I got to tell you, Doug, you know, that's amazing that they, that they're so good at managing that much traffic with only two runways. Mm -hmm. It's amazing that they can do that. 
Yeah, but if you look at the Flight Radar 24, the Flight Aware tracks, a lot of them get vectored all over oh, yeah. the place and they have to hold for long periods of time. Um, yeah. In fact, you even commented about it. I think you posted a picture and said, yeah, here's my Heathrow hold, <laughs> I think is what you called it. Yeah, it's great for AvGeek because you get like a few spins around London before you get cleared in, which is what happened to my plane. So I was fine with it. <laughs> yeah, but l- let's talk about the climate impact on that. I, I understand yes, that. Yeah, I, if you're worried about the climate, right? All that wasted fuel and all that pollution with aircraft holding. I understand there are two different aspects here. There's the aspect of, well, if you open up a third runway, you might get more traffic into the airport. Yeah. Uh, you're going to have to plow over some fields and, and whatever. But the current airplanes that are operating in there are holding for long periods of time. Yeah, it's, it's, I, it's a trade-off. Well, I, my feeling, I don't know how you feel about this, is you don't want to stymie world commerce because that means jobs, that means money, that means better, you know, more money for schools, bridges, education, all that. I think we need to focus, instead of reducing the traffic, I think we can do other things to compensate for that with biofuels, with uh, carbon offsets, right? That's, I think, that's how we're going to solve this problem, not just by stopping or slowing global commerce yeah well richard branson i know proposed a couple years ago having tugs or some sort of system pull the airplanes out to the runway and start the engines there yeah Mm -hmm. something like that where they're not burning burning gas on the ground how long was your taxi when you left do you remember from heathrow yeah oh not long no time wise though time wise i think distance wise it it wasn't terribly long but did you have I to would wait? Say, well, yeah, we had to wait. So while well, you were watching me on flight radar. So yeah, I, I, I just don't remember about, what the time was. It was at least 20 minutes. Yeah, so you're burning gas that whole time. Yeah, that's a good point. That's something that they could think yeah. of. Yeah, there's so many things, you know, that you can do because it's not, this is about, you know, people flying to see their friends and relatives, people conducting business, people going on trips and honeymoons and stuff. You, you don't want to, you don't want to restrict that. You know, there's other ways that we can we can help the environment and be able to travel. Sticking with Heathrow, something I want to bring up from an ops-related perspective is um, I saw on social media people were talking about airplanes getting to their destination, having to fly around extra, like you were calling it, the Heathrow hold. Yeah. What is that called when an airplane arrives at an airport and they have to spin in the air for a set amount of time? Do you do you know what that's called? When they have to spin in the well, I would call that circling. Circling. Yeah. It's actually called holding. So circling and holding are two completely different things. A hold is an airplane that has to do, I I say spin circles. So I can see why people would say that, but they're defined holding patterns by your traffic control. Pilots call it holding. The term is called holding. A circle is a maneuver close to the ground that an air, that an airplane um, conducts to get to a different runway. So okay. if I'm going to an airport that has an instrument approach to a certain runway, they don't have an instrument approach to a different runway, but the winds are favoring that other runway, then I have to do what's called a circle, which is roughly anywhere from, depending on the, the type of airplane, how fast you're flying, anywhere from 600 to probably 1,200 feet above the ground, where you, you shoot the approach to one runway you have the other runway in sight and then you visually circle to land at that other runway. Okay. And why would you do that again? 
if there's not an instrument approach into the runway that you need to land at. So think, okay. of, think of an airport that has a crossing runway, so it looks like an X. Mm-hmm. And some airports don't have instrument approaches to every runway. Now, if you go to Heathrow, if you go to JFK, if you go to the major airports in the world, they're going to have instrument approaches to every runway. But if you go to some smaller airports in the United States and Europe, kind of all over the world, they may only pay to have a couple of instrument approaches to that field. So they'll have an instrument approach to one or two runways. But if the winds don't support a landing on that runway, then you have to circle to land on a different runway. Which doesn't have an instrument approach. Which doesn't have an instrument approach to it. So it's like a practice. It's like a, you know, like a trial run. You know, no, 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 no. It's, uh, you, you shoot the ILS or you shoot the instrument approach to the only runway that has an instrument approach. Right. But then the winds are the opposite direction. So then you have to c- circle low to the ground and land into the winds. So it's, right. not, it's not a practice. It's, it's part of the procedure. And it's every single approach has, or not every single approach, because it's not authorized for all of them. But a lot of the approaches have circling information on it. So you can do the approach to minimums, to circling minimums, which is a height above the ground, and then you maneuver the airplane to land on a different runway. That's crazy because that's not really a circle. <laughs> you know, not in the shape of a circle, but I'm not saying parallel runways. Yeah. You, might, you might circle a full 180 degrees around the field and okay. land heading the opposite direction on the runway that you had done the approach to. Okay. <clears throat> Interesting. Yeah, I don't think anyone would know. That's not a pilot would even realize what that yeah. is. Unless no. you're ATC. I, I, I get why people say we circled at the field because it does look like circles. It's actually yeah. more ovals. <laughs> but people don't say I ovaled at the field because that, yeah. just, that just sounds weird. All right. So also, if you have to hold you may declare a fuel emergency and you yes. have some information for us I, on that. I do. So this was another thing uh, kind of stemming from our, our London discussion. Gatwick Airport, which is one of the other major airports in London, only has a single runway, which is part of the reason why this Heathrow third runway expansion is, is kind of a big deal. Uh, the runway was closed last week for about 30 minutes, and I saw that there were some airplanes that diverted because they had fuel emergencies the pilots declared a fuel emergency. I saw some people on social media who said the fact they had to declare fuel emergencies for a diversion is concerning. Now, I wanted to clear that up a little bit. It actually isn't. So declaring a fuel emergency doesn't mean that the airplane is going to to run out of fuel right then and there. It's not going to fall out of the sky. What it does is it gets you priority vectoring with air traffic control. It kind of clears the airspace, if you will. Of course, when people are holding, waiting to get into a field, the longer you have to hold, the, the more likely that a lot of people are going to get emergency gas. And so you may have a lot of people trying to get priority vectors. But uh, this is all part of the mission planning. So the, the mission, the, the flight planners account for holding gas. So that's expected. It's, it's required. You have to have a set amount of gas to be able to hold a field if the field is closed. But then you have an alternate airport, so you know that if you hit a certain level of gas, like think of your car, if you dip below a quarter of a tank and you're out driving somewhere in the middle of, of the desert, you know that you have to stop at some point or, or you have to be able to make it to that next place. So in your mind, you're going to set this number and say, if I get, get below a quarter of a tank, 
then I'm going to pull over and fill up here before I get to that long stretch of highway that doesn't have any gas stations. So that's basically what the pilots do too, is we have a number in mind. Uh, it's, it's not just a guesstimate, it's an actual number, that if we get below that, then we're going to divert. And we know that we know our diversion field, we know the gas it'll take to get there. Okay. And then we'll declare a fuel emergency so that we get basically a straight shot to the airfield as opposed to getting vectored around <clears throat> by ATC. Okay, but I got a question. So all these planes that are diverting are declaring mm-hmm. fuel emergencies, but what if one of them is a real emergency? Like they have to land right away. So how do you prioritize whose emergency is more critical? Because when you declare an emergency, you have to tell them what you're declaring the emergency for. Okay. So, so if someone has an emergency that is not a fuel emergency, then it would be up to ATC to determine the true severity of it. Because it could be a medical emergency. It could be a... No, no. What if it's, what if it's a fuel emergency, but someone has less fuel than the other? Well, then uh, you just, when you declare the fuel emergency, you tell ATC how many minutes of fuel you have remaining. And so that way they're able to prioritize with multiple fuel fuel emergencies. And if it's everyone from from the same airline, they may have different alternate fields to account for that. Okay, that makes sense. So that not everyone is going to the same place at possibly the same time. Yeah, Doug, I think when a civilian or someone hears emergency, they think it's an they emergency. Think it's bad. You're saying it's not an emergency. It's not, no. Okay. All right, let's talk about something else that could be an emergency, but usually is not. Uh, we're going to talk about wake turbulence very quickly. So on my flight from Colombo to London over the Persian Gulf, yeah, over the Persian Gulf, everything was fine, smooth flight. I think uh, we were just finishing dinner or something. And the plane, an A330-300, which is a pretty big airplane, started rolling to the right and to the left. I don't want to say violently, but it was enough to, you know, make people kind of sit up in their seat and ask, you know, what's going on? I think my drink sloshed over a little bit. So no major issue, but still kind of alarming. So it lasted only a few seconds. So uh, pilot came back to talk to me. So um, just a side note, my uncle <laughs> used to be the doctor for this airline for the pilots. So he calls when he learns which flight I am, he calls the captain and tells him, hey, my, my nephew is going to be on this flight. Go back and that's talk awesome. him, which he did, <laughs> which is pretty awesome. Um, so he came back and I was like, what was that turbulence? Was it another plane? He said, yes, it was an Emirates A380 going in the other direction a few thousand feet above us. So what we experienced was the wake turbulence of that aircraft. And quickly, the wake turbulence is created on the wingtips of these big, large aircraft. Uh, their vortices, they turn alternately uh, around to the left or right on either wing. And uh, you just have to be careful not to fly below the flight path. And we were, of course, below the flight path. Um, ICAO, International Civil Aviation Organization, they recommend a four to five mile aircraft separation uh, between uh, aircraft following a heavy or medium sized aircraft and seven to eight miles following an A380. I think, Doug, you have an example of. Yeah, uh, so first of all, the A380, they're the only airplane that's considered a super. So your A330 is a heavy, and that's any aircraft that's over 300,000 pounds gross weight. Um, and so the A380 is, is a super, and they, they talk about that on ATC. When they get their call sign, they say, hey, this is Emirates Flight 121 have, or Super. So that way ATC knows, and, and they can vector people accordingly. 
Now, kind of where this came about was in 2017, there was a Bombardier. Bombardier, we talked about that a couple weeks ago, the pronunciation, remember? Yeah, I think I got it now. Bombardier. Bombardier. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You say Bombardier. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. A Challenger 604, which is a small business jet, um, got in the wake turbulence of another Emirates A380. They're only 1,000 feet below them that happened to be flying the opposite direction. And flipped the airplane. So the, the airplane actually rolled several times. Um, I, I believe it was three. Yeah, it rolled three times. They lost 10,000 feet. It seriously injured one of the passengers um, and the airplane was totaled. It happened over the Indian Ocean. They're able to Probably divert. the same area. Yeah. Close to the same area. Yeah, they were able to divert to Muscat, uh, which is in Oman. Uh, real quick, before I give more details, public service announcement. This yeah. is why you should always buckle your seatbelt. Even right. when you're not in turbulence, yeah. buckle mm-hmm. your seatbelt because you're going to injure yourself or you're going to injure someone around you if you get thrown up in the cabin and then thrown back down. You never know what's going to happen. So when the crew says keep your seatbelt fastened, even if you're not experiencing rough air, that's why. You never know. Now, right. I will caveat that and say flying is safe. We're not telling you not to go fly, but just keep your seatbelt fastened. Um, all right, getting back to this Bombardier Challenger. The autopilot failed, the inertial reference system failed, the flight management system failed, and the attitude indication failed because of this, this role. So the pilots basically had very little to be able to recover the airplane. All yeah. their instrumentation was gone. And I read the, uh, the final report. The pilot who was interviewed, of course, said they only recovered because he saw clouds. Wow. Because the sky and the ocean, mm-hmm. there, there was no land around at that point. Yeah. It looked the same. He said he was able to pick out a couple clouds and he was able to pull the airplane towards the clouds. And they kind of over g in, in the pullout because they had lost so many thousands of feet. Um, so, I mean, this is a very serious situation. The fact that you're A330, which is, uh, at that point, you're probably still 400 some thousand pounds. That, yeah. That's a big airplane. Yeah, to rock around. And to, to have an A380 rocket like that is is pretty crazy. Yeah, it's interesting because I was watching, um, do you know uh, Josh Cahill? He does a lot of YouTube videos, um, mm-hmm. airline reviews. So he was on the same flight, UL503, having his dinner, and then it was rocked by turbulence. And on that video, he said they said it was an A380. So there's probably a herd of A380s leaving Dubai right there as this Sri Lankan plane is heading because it seems like it's not the first time. Yeah. But here's the question, and I could not find the answer to this in the little research I did about this. So they have some guidance if you're behind one of these planes, right, a certain distance. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen any guidance for this situation when you're flying on opposite uh, trajectories. I don't see anything of how what how many thousands of feet separation you should have so yeah I, to be honest i i don't know um vortices are, are kind of a a weird thing in that um there's no way to really predict how quickly they're going to dissipate how yeah. quickly they're going to descend there have been a lot of tests that have done, been done there's actually a really cool youtube video you guys just check it out search for it i believe it was, a, it was an l1011 um that they had these smoke towers. It was somewhere in, in the Southwest in the U S they had these smoke towers up and they were, they were producing smoke. The L 10 11 flew at 50 feet above the ground between these smoke towers. Okay. And then they were able to see the vortices oh, wow. from the smoke. And they were able to determine kind of the speed at which they trailed behind, how quickly they, they descended. Now that was more for, for landing conditions because you, yeah. you don't want to be, too close to uh, another heavy airplane 
or, or someone that's bigger than you, we can get into a whole ATC discussion another yeah. time because they're, they're actually time limits. You have to be uh, spaced a certain time between someone who's heavier than you. So but not just miles. it depends on, on which direction the wind is blowing because the, it actually blows the vortices possibly away from you. So if, if yeah. you have a crosswind and you're behind another, an eighth or 80, you may not feel it at all, even if you're relatively close because it's getting right. blown in, in a different direction. Yeah. One more thing. So reading about this Bombardier incident. Bombardier. Wow. There you go again. <laughs> I've like got you. You and Latam. Um, so oh, come on, come on. <laughs> I thought we, put I said that, lots. Of I thought, so I thought we put that to rest. All right. <laughs> um, so yeah, and this, when they came back, when they did the investigation all, for a recourse or the um, recommendation was that ATC controllers be aware of this. So whatever mm -hmm. that means. So, yeah. all right, let's go on to uh, our Twitter poll, Doug regarding London Heathrow or regarding London. Yeah. So we, we put out our weekly Twitter poll. Uh, we said Londoners and London originating or departing visitors. What's your preferred airport? Um, we, we said Heathrow, Gatwick or London city, which everyone calls Lucy. Um, we'd love to hear why. Uh, if you have another airport, tell us if you like Stansted or if you like Luton or another, a couple others a little bit farther out. Um, so we, we got the results in. Yeah, results came in. Uh, we had a lot of response, which was nice. We only had it up for 24 hours. The, um, of course, as expected, London Heathrow was number one at 56%. London Gatwick, number two at 20%. London City at 17%. And the rest at 7%. And um, some of the comments were interesting. So Paul, uh, shout out to Paul at Layovers Podcast. He said... <laughs> He said, it's appropriate that no one mentions the shack that is Luton. <laughs> so I, have, I don't know what Luton is like. So I, of course, I Googled to see if it was really a shack. Uh, it's not. It's actually pretty nice. They just had an improvement. So they have a new terminal building, but no jetways. But it looks like a fun airport to work in, actually. You know, it looks like very um, condensed. Uh, my friend Mark said, um, LHR is my choice. Heathrow Express makes it so simple to get into London quickly. And um, London Heathrow responded to him saying, thank you. That's one thing. If anyone who works for London Heathrow is listening, you guys are so responsive in your uh, social media. So I put, I tagged London Heathrow during my trip, you know, with the videos that I had and uh, Heathrow would respond. Hey, glad you had a good trip. So yeah, it's awesome. Um, this guy named Phil said, they all seem fine to me. Uh, Dominic said, always found London Gatwick pretty good for queuing and general passenger experience followed by London Gatwick. Stan said, queues leave uh, a lot to be desired. And then last, um, this person named Vintage Kitchen said, always Heathrow, Gatwick is a nightmare to get to. Stansted is lovely as my second choice. Yeah, I think a lot of it too probably has to do with where they're going. Uh, if a city, city is, is really easy to get to if you're in the financial district, if, if you're right, kind of in central London. Um, but they don't have any long haul. They only go to Amsterdam, right. Paris, a couple of, couple smaller places around Europe. So if you're trying to get anywhere in the world, I can see why Heathrow would be everyone's choice, even though there's kind of a love-hate relationship, probably well, depending, on, depending on the terminal you're leaving from as well. Yeah, I expected that most Americans would say Heathrow, which they did, but even these Europeans with the comments, most of them preferred Heathrow too. So mm -hmm. nice job, Heathrow. Um, I will tell you, you've never flown to Heathrow, but as a kid... No, I've, I've flown to Heathrow. I mean, you've never flown... Flung the Gatwick. Gatwick, yeah. Yeah, so 
as a kid, <clears throat> I flew to Gatwick a few times because all the U.S. carriers. That's all they had. That's what. That's where they flew to. Yeah. So, and it was a big thing to move from Gatwick to Heathrow, but it just seemed like everyone, all the major carriers, moved. So because of the yeah, they made the room slots. Yeah, they were able to get the slots at Heathrow. Um, I think. Uh, I want to say Delta uh, is actually launching Gatwick service again, oh, really? or they were su- supposed to, who knows what will happen with the coronavirus. But yeah, yeah. I, I think for the summer season, um, the, this coming summer, Delta was going to have a couple flights to Gatwick. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Yeah. All right. Well, before we wrap up, uh, it's time for what used to be our favorite part of the show. And that's talking about our next trips. And we never thought that we'd say this, but we know, travel is actually becoming a huge polarizing topic right now just with so- social media being a buzz and, and everything regarding this to travel or not to travel movement as we're calling it um in fact we've even seen some people get harassed for posting photos of their travel um comments like irresponsible how can you even think of doing that in a time like this and honestly some downright inappropriately mean comments that we're not going to quote just because we don't want to give that any airtime. Um, First of all, come on, be nice people. Even if you don't agree with what other people are doing, social media has kind of become pretty nasty. Um, It's not the place to do that. So just respect people's decisions. Be nice. You don't have to attack people. Um, Right. Secondly, both of our employers have yet to put a travel ban, uh, like some of the companies that we talked about earlier. So we will be traveling both for work and for personal reasons. But of course, we are going to be cautious and we're going to take all the prevent um, recommended preventative measures from World Health Organization, the CDC Mm -hmm. in the U.S. and all those different agencies. So until we're told not to travel, we are going to continue to do so. Do so. Um, Really, the future of the industry that you and I work in relies on people like us who continue to travel. So on that note. Uh, I know you just got back. You talked about your trip, but it's time to start packing again, isn't it? It is. Yeah. So I got a short trip tomorrow. And uh, once again, this is for an airport operations conference, which was not canceled, thankfully. Just one day I'll be going to Chicago. I'll be flying the mini buses. So um, an A319 going to Chicago and a 737-700 back. So you know what? Maybe I'll do a little comparison uh, for everyone and I'll post some pictures and I'll just uh, I'll just tell you for myself, you know, just look, sitting in an A319 and a 737, I'll be completely objective. And we can talk about that during the next episode, maybe. You've got something much more exciting coming up. I do, yes. I have my first 787 flight on Friday. Um, a 10, it's, no less. it's a Dash 10. Yeah, I'm really excited. Uh, so I go from SAC to LAX on a CRJ 700. Um, and then um, LA to Newark on the 787. Then I've got 10 hours to get from Newark over to LaGuardia, uh, get in at nine o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. And then I've got a 6 a.m. flight out the next morning. Um, so I've got a, a hotel over by LaGuardia, which I am very much dreading getting from Newark to LaGuardia. It's not the easiest thing or quickest thing in the world, even though it's the same metro area. How are you getting there between the airports? uh, I'm going to have to take New Jersey Transit, the train to um, Union Station. And then I'll have to take one of the subways over to as close to my hotel as I can get and then walk. And then honestly, Saturday morning, I'll probably just Uber or Lyft to LaGuardia because LaGuardia doesn't have 
public transportation beyond really buses, buses yeah. to get there. Yeah, it's it's not easy to get to. So um, probably take Uber or Lyft to uh, to get there. And then I'm flying on a CRJ 200 from LaGuardia to Dulles. Now I'm, I'm actually, I, I know a lot of people really dislike LaGuardia um, and I've had some good experiences and not so good experiences there, but I'm really excited because I get to see the new terminal for the first time. Oh yeah, cool. Yeah, you can send us some pictures on that. Yep. And you guys, Doug is flying to Dulles because we're yep. going on our second AvGeek trip, which is uh, totally blows the other one out of the water. So um, all things, if uh, it all works out, we will be flying a 777-200 in business class from Dulles to Tokyo and then a 777-300 from Tokyo back to Newark. And I don't want to say thanks to coronavirus, but um, really, I mean, the, <laughs> the loads look great. So we're probably going to get on both flights with no issue. And then we're going to get to Tokyo, walk around. I have it all planned out. And then uh, during that time, I think we'll be podcasting, right? Yeah, uh, we, we might push an episode out uh, before the trip and then probably record on the trip so we can kind of talk about um, multiple lounge experiences. Because I just I looked at Narita and what, what did I say? There are six A&A lounges, I think, that, oh, wow. that I can get us into plus the... Oh, wow. United Club plus all the priority pass lounges at Dulles and all that. So we'll uh, we'll probably get some pretty good um, discussion going and then talk about the flight and, and all that. Yeah, and hopefully you know this will be a preview to uh, we can talk about the Olympics whether they'll happen or not in Japan. I hope they will. Um, right now it looks like uh, the organizers are continuing, but they're planning to have a smaller event than expected. So. But, you know, Doug and I are going to Japan, and that's Asia, and we are going to be safe. We're going to wash our hands and uh, cover our coughs. Yep, exactly. <laughs> well, uh, be sure to check us out on Twitter. We'll be posting pictures um, all week. Drew will post pictures of his conference. I'll post pictures on Friday of, of my 787 fun on the way out to Newark. I'll probably pay for Wi-Fi just for that, I would say. <laughs> um, but Thanks everyone for joining us again this week. We know that you have your choice of podcasts. We appreciate you choosing the next trip. This has been Boarding Past 15. Until the next trip. This has been the Next Trip Podcast. Find us on Twitter at Next Trip Podcast or officerwayfinder.com slash podcast.